Welcome to 84 B2B SaaS Marketing Strategy. I'm your host, Amanda Deshmuk. On this episode, I'm joined by Brendan Hufford, Director of SEO at Directive. Brendan's SEO agency uh, works with a lot of massive brands. So he's worked with Allstate and um, he also works with a lot of rapidly growing B2B SaaS startup companies. Um, one example is Sumo Logic, which I'm sure you've all heard of before. Um, now, Brandon is a veritable SEO and content marketing expert. So I'm really excited to have him on the show here today. And he's grown monthly site visitors for one client from 56,000 to 193,000 in just three months, which is absolutely insane. And it's insane how fast he's been able to do that as well. Now he also is, just just so you know how good Brandon is, he regularly doubles website traffic for his SaaS clients. And he's also an expert at driving MQLs. So for one of his clients, he increased their um, MQLs from their website by 2,750%. This was for an enterprise software company. Now on this episode, Brendan and I are gonna talk in depth about content. We're gonna talk about SEO strategies, and we're also gonna talk about challenges, specifically for early stage B2B SaaS startups, whether you're selling to SMB, uh, whether you're selling mid-market or enterprise, or even a combination of all three. Now, the first few minutes I kind of spent talking to Brandon about his background just to get to know him a bit so you guys get to know who he is. But if you want to skip that just forward to about five minutes in, we can start getting into the meat of the SEO and content marketing strategy component of this episode. Hey, what's up, Brendan? Welcome to the show. Super stoked to have you on here today. Yeah, man. Thanks so much for having me on. This is going to be great. Yeah. All right. So I I know right now you're the director of SEO at Directive, but um, tell me a bit about your background and, uh, you know, how you got into SEO and and how you came came to get to where you are today. Yeah, it's super silly. Well, it's not silly because I feel like everybody gets into SEO in a really strange path, right? It's not like a lot of other careers, even marketing, I would say. Like there's people that go to school for marketing, but I still feel like most of the people I know in marketing went to school for something else. Uh, I personally went to school to be a teacher because at 18 years old, I thought it would be a good idea to sit, sit down at the, in the cafeteria at Ithaca College in upstate New York and flip through the course catalog and make a really expensive decision based on mostly nothing. Um, I was either going to go to, I was at Ithaca College because my father was a teacher there and I was either going to be a teacher or I was going to go into the radio program. And for some reason, I can't fathom why I decided to be a teacher and committed to it and ended up doing that for 10 years. Uh, I climbed the ladder in education. I got my master's degree. I became an assistant principal. Uh, The reward for becoming an assistant principal was uh, an extra 25 pounds on my midsection a pretty unhealthy relationship with alcohol and uh, a Sunday night panic attacks. And that way I was like, all right, I can't do this the rest of my life. I had just had, I have three boys um, and I had just had my first son at that point. And I'm like, I can't keep doing this. And I'd been building stuff on the side and I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I came up in, I didn't come up in like marketing or digital marketing. I came up in what I call online marketing, which is very much like the guru led, like, find your niche and build a community and sell them things, but don't ever actually like do anything. Just your only thing is convincing people you can talk about something enough to make them buy it from you. And then it just becomes like very circular, you know, like a, 
-hmm. like the snake eating its own tail kind of thing. And I was like, all right, that's the, that's the path. Like all my podcasts say this, I got to hate my job, check that box. Uh, I got to quit my job and then I got to have my own business. So I was just every year killing myself. Like every summer I was like, this is the summer. I'm not going back next year. Like I'm going to do something big. And I started a Brazilian jiu-jitsu apparel company, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu apparel review website, learned importing and exporting, ended up selling both of those, all this different stuff. And then eventually one of my friends was just like, hey, why don't you just go work at an agency? And I, I, I kid you not, I had never thought of that. No part of me was like, just have a career in marketing. And that opened up so many doors. I applied a couple places, got to final interviews and the first place that gave me an offer was the place that I really wanted to work, this really cool small agency in Chicago called Click Studios. They do primarily web design, but just an amazing team and probably the best culture uh, of, you know, it, you could have in a design and marketing agency. I absolutely love them. I'm still, they joke that I was like their number one fan. And I'm like, well, I kind of have to be, I'm like the, <laughs> one of the most important marketers here. Uh, but I'm still like, they're, I still think I'm Click Studios number one fan. So I worked there for a little bit. And then about six months ago, uh, uh, the CEO of Directive reached out to me and uh, I decided to join the team here at Directive where we work primarily with software companies. Nice, man. Uh, so looking through your time at Click Studios, there are some pretty incredible numbers here. And the one that really stood out to me is uh, your traffic bullet, 344% traffic increase for an authority blog in three months, taking it from 56K to 193K. Is that um, unique visitors per month? Yeah, the, the thing that's interesting about that is that was during my time at, at Click, uh, but that was actually a personal project. Um, I just bucketed it there because I didn't, I didn't need, I don't need like seven things going, you know, people have LinkedIn where it's like, oh, it says they're this agency, but like, is that really just them? Is that they're consulting? I don't I just bucketed it under there. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a really cool project. And that was a great example of what you can do when you don't have a ton of resources, but you have the experience and the understanding to realize like small, small levers you can pull that have big results. Uh, the crooks of that is that a lot of their content hadn't been updated in years. A lot of their biggest, most popular articles were written in 2016, 2017. And luckily I had done some experiments on my own side projects. I'm a big believer. Anybody who does any sort of marketing, you have to have your own like side projects to mess with because mm -hmm. you shouldn't be messing with client work or where you work professionally. Mm -hmm. That's not the place for experiments. Uh, not, not crazy ones. So I had uh, one of my own websites and what I did was I wanted to see two things. Number one, if I can test these in isolation, updating title tags to say the current year, which is a very spammy thing and a lot of SEOs do this. Um, I knew that would increase clicks. But what I noticed was Google was still pulling, even though I had updated the content, it was pulling the post published date into search results and not my updated date. And I thought to myself, I wonder if I don't even touch the content, just like a total spammer, don't touch the content, but just update the publish date. Will that get more clicks? Because people see a, 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 you know, a 2019, whenever I did that, like a 2019 date, 
or will Google think it's more recent and fresh and bump it up automatically? I'm, I, you know, you can't really tell which it is, whether it's the clicks bumping you up or the algorithm, mm -hmm. but everything went way up. And I was like, oh, that's crazy. Like just updating the publish date causes things to shoot back up in search. If they used to rank really well and they're kind of aging out, just update that publish date. So we went in and, you know, this is a great site, so we, we can't just be scammy spammers or whatever, uh, updated all the publish dates to being of the current year uh, and that of 2019, which is when we did this, and then actually updated the content to make it way, way better. Um, and all of that stuff that was falling off, that was on the bottom of page one, page two, page three, was like instantly ranking number one and number two again. We got a lot of featured snippets out of it using things like, I know I'm getting like really in the weeds, but using like div boxes uh, to pull into the featured snippets. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it had a huge impact, but it just goes to show you gotta know the right thing for the right kind of clients and project. <laughs> they produce so much content, they don't need 20 more articles. They need to fix what's actually causing the drop. Right, let's let's go into the weeds though. I like going into the weeds. Um, oh. So th their content vo production volume was already high. Um, how many how many articles a month were they were they were they publishing? I don't know, maybe like thirty to fifty or something. Thirty to fifty. Wow, it's pretty. Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying to think of like how many I was seeing per week. I mean, no, I mean maybe maybe more like twenty to thirty. But it's still it's still a good amount. That's right? a lot, yeah. Um, I I tend to set like sixteen a month as as like the north star for um, this. I, I work with a lot of really really small marketing teams uh, in my career, um, so that that's usually like a stretch goal. Usually they're they hire me and they they think um you know hey like can we write one article a week, and I go. <laughs> Yeah, but that's that's not good enough. Um, you know, you need you need sixteen um, long form, really high quality articles every month if you actually want to get anything done with building um, building SEO ranking, especially from scratch. Yeah, it really depends on yeah, it really depends on what they need and, and what it's going to do for the business too, right? Like I, we can mess with traffic numbers and things like that. I can get people tons of traffic. I can make those numbers look amazing, right? Four thousand percent increase in a year. But then their leads go up 8%. And you're like, I don't know about that. That doesn't seem like that was really helpful, you know? So Definitely. I agree with you that people, we, we have a weird, humans are weird. Like we have this, uh, I noticed when we do a lot of, uh, like we do at, at Directive, we do quarterly business reviews. And a lot of times our recommendations are these round numbers, 4, 8, 12, or something, or even 16, right? Like yeah. we get attached to these like very even numbers, like per week, per month. Like maybe they need nine articles. Maybe they need 23. Like there's like, let's find the actual number they need versus a round number. Um, and I know you were speaking in averages, but I do think like kind of similar to the, my point about the, the first thing, like let's find the actual thing they need versus just like, a, I don't know, a best practice number. Right. So how do you actually go about finding the actual, so you're starting a block from like, you know, you're starting a building a company's um, organic traffic from scratch. Um, and you know, it takes time for um, pieces to rank. Like a lot of my best performing pieces took a couple months to rank before they started generating organic traffic. Um, 
So how do you actually determine what the right uh, level is for that company? And then also, I think another challenge that I always run into that, um, you know, I, I later work on by improving the conversion on the website is, um, you know, if you don't have the traffic, you can't really tell how well the website is converting yet. So it's, it's almost like I set like this minimum goal of we need to get to 10,000 unique visitors per month to the site um, before um, before we can, um, you know, think about improving the conversion rate on the site beyond some some basics. Yeah, I think you yeah, usually my I mean, if you're going to run an A-B test, right, you need you want I don't know if the number is like a thousand total or a thousand for each side of an AB test, but yeah, you can't like have 85 people and being like, well, we have four conversions this month. And I mean, in some, I'll be honest with you in some like B2B SaaS situations, like that is very real. Like if they go for four, four, uh, you know, sales, we'll go all the way to the end of the funnel. They sell four new clients and we get them to five the next month that could mean an extra million dollars in their business. So some of them, like those low numbers are okay. But for the most part, especially in, if we're in, I think, let's be honest, like if we're talking million dollar deals, we're also talking about, we're not talking about self-service SaaS anymore. <laughs> they have like, yeah, we have three, we have three tiers of leadership within our sales department at that point, And like a team of 20 SDRs and all these different things that they're working with. So that sort of stuff. But I think on the, like, if we're talking self-service SaaS, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like it's there, you have to have a volume game to know if onboarding is working, if signups are working, if like all of those sorts of things. Um, I think in terms of getting them there and getting the right thing has to be, uh, I, I want to drive business first. So most people think of con- like if we're talking content and things like that, um, let's assume they have some authority to their site already. So we have to assume some things, right? If they're starting from like flat scratch, no traffic, no authority, new website, they're just coming out of what is the stealth mode? mode. Yeah. <laughs> yep. We're in stealth mode right now. All right. So don't actually do anything. That's what you're really telling me. Yeah. Nothing <laughs> you're building it. It's cool. I mean, it, I get it. Uh, I don't, it's like, you know, what are you building? Well, it's the this for this. And it's like, I don't think that's an original, I don't think you have to stealth mode this. Mm-hmm. Like, I yeah. don't think, if you I, are- I hate the, stealth mode. It's hard. Um, but what, it's fun. I've worked with a couple of companies in that, uh, you know, whether they've taken on like seed funding or whatever, whatever they're using uh, to, or if they're cre- like spinning something off from a bigger company, so they're self-funding it from another company, uh, but they can't like just put the product on the site that gives you like fun planning time and creative campaigns you, that you can design to build links and like all those different things. Uh, to answer your question of like how much content they're going to need, like let's assume they have some authority. Let's assume they're an equal authority to their competitors and we're not, cause if you're going to build content that is meant to build links, like I have a couple of tactics that I love to do that, but that's a very different effort cause it's, Hey, we got to build some links to the site if we want this other stuff to rank reasonably <laughs> well. Um, I always start out as much as possible, like call it bottom of funnel or solution product awareness uh, from a copywriting standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start out there and let's drive business first, right? Like the, it's, it's, it's close as we can get to the like paid acquisition side of things. Like I, I want to make sure that you're seeing an ROI from this as soon as possible. 
So let's go after super, like, I don't trust a lot of the SEO tools under a hundred search volume per month. You know, we've mm-hmm. seen too many times with clients where Ahrefs and SEM rush are like, Oh, there's only 10 searches per month for that. And then it's, you look at your clients like search console and they're like, Oh, you got 112 clicks last month from that one keyword. I think there's more than 10, you know, people searching for this, but it's just an emerging category or it's just like something really, it's something that was previously, I don't know, you, you put like something as a service, like it's a new, like people didn't have category this creation. Yeah. Anything like that. Like Ahrefs isn't going to waste their time spending a bunch of like, buying a bunch of clickstream data or something to, to populate, whether it's a hundred or 75 or 20, like they don't really care. So don't worry about that. Write the stuff uh, as soon as possible. It's like, if you, if you have sales or you have anybody that's talking to customers, I want to talk to them as soon as possible. What are the questions that have come up three times unprompted? Cool. We need the, we need that content and we need to rank that content. Cause if they're bringing it up to you unprompted, they're Googling it. You know, so it's kind yeah. of like, no, I love that. Um, I think a, a mistake I've seen people make in the past is um, you kick off this content marketing strategy, which often goes hand in hand with SEO and, and Legion and, and all of that. And you, um, you focus on awareness level, top of funnel keywords to, to then the idea is to build audience and traffic first. And the problem is that it doesn't lead to business fast enough. And um, I, I just love that idea of focusing on keywords that are really, really specific to your product and your category and that likely have a high buying intent. And then on your content, focusing on, you know, using your content to overcome objections, answer questions that um, people would have that are, that are later in the later stages of the buyer's journey. Um, I think that's awesome. Now, one of the things that, um, let, let me like uh, set, set the stage here a bit um, to, to frame what we're going to talk about next. But um, in, in a lot of my experience, I've been working with um, B2B SaaS companies that are doing enterprise sales, right? So the thing with enterprise sales, as you know, is it's going to be a six to 12 month long sales cycle. Um, it's, it's super rare that anyone comes to the site, um, you know, inbounds off a piece of organic content, converts, and then turns into a deal. Uh, the following week. So when, when you're in an environment like that, um, how do you really like prove the value of, uh, of SEO and, uh, and, and content marketing? So if they're going enterprise, nobody just starts there. Nobody's like, well, we have no customers, but we're enterprise, right? We're going after the huge biggest things. Like that's a very, that's like movie stuff, right? So typically they already have customers. They already have a proven business model. They're just looking to go up market. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the biggest way they already know the value there's in a lot of cases, because all you have to do is pull open whatever they're using, Pardot, HubSpot, Salesforce, like something in some sort of thing that you're going to have, or even like Google analytics and just go into the like, um, I'm going to forget what it's called. Just the attribution section, not attribution, but like in down in goals and conversions, there's a section that I'm forgetting the name of right now, uh, where it just shows like the conversion pathways. And you're like, hey, the most popular conversion pathways is organic, seven direct visits, two more organics, and then they clicked on a paid ad. 
because they were just ready and just clicked quickly. Like you can see they've been to your website, like 125 people have come to your website nine times, nine times. Like that we position it as like discoverability, right? Is they, is there any chance at the enterprise level they would not know you exist? Probably mm -hmm. not, right? The point of discoverability at that level is twofold. Number one, we cannot be the, the beige couch, right? Like we can't just be kind of comfortable. If your kids spill something on it, it's not gonna stain, but also, you know, just like that, everybody's beige couch that just sits in your basement. You can't be that at enterprise. You have to be something special if they're gonna select you. So the point is you have to tell that story as quickly as possible. Not Captera, not G2. I mean, have you seen those pages? All those pages are like 4.5 stars to 4.49 stars. Like they don't actually say anything yeah. on most of those aggregate. You know what I mean? It's like they basically do the same thing and are ranked pretty much the same. And it's like, what does this even exist for? It's now just more confusing. But you don't want Captera telling your story. You don't want G2 or software advice or whoever. Um, you want to control that narrative. So we need to get people to your web, like, they're doing their research. They know they need this solution. It's very rare at the enterprise level that you're going to have something novel they've never heard of and they've never heard of you. So the question is, are we discoverable enough to have already had that relationship with them? And then also discoverable enough that we can then control that conversation, right? Let's get them talking to somebody as quickly as possible, whether that means they're coming to your site and you just have like, you know, some real banger playbooks set up in drift. So they're coming in organically trying, you know, through discoverability, uh, you know, whether that's to a, a core, you know, solutions or product page uh, or whatever, but then they get there and drift says something that gets their attention. And now all of a sudden you're in a conversation and you have their information. We need things like that so we can customize the message. Cause otherwise, again, you end up being the beige couch. Cause most people that are going up market aren't throwing out all the rest of their business. It's not like we don't want any of that. And, you know, we don't want any more SMBs. We don't want any more mid-market. You still need that if you're going up market. So the real play is, you know, how do we have the content that kind of appeals to everybody? But how do we give that enterprise person that when they're on the site, something's going to catch their eye and they're going to be like, that is what I'm looking for. Yes, that's my, that's my unique pain point. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really the way to do it. Yeah, um, I absolutely agree. I love the drift chatbot play. Um, I haven't been able to run that chatbot play at the current company I'm working at um, because we sell a conversational AI for recruiting. So there's concerns around um, yeah. confusion uh, about what they're what the the visitor on the site would be would be engaging with. Um, but some of the other things that I am implementing over there are are things like quizzes to discover their pain and find out what the right AI solution for them is, ROI calculators. Um, things like that, that, that offer more value than just an ebook or, or a webinar um, that we can use to kind of customize our messaging uh, when we reach out to these folks. Now, um, one big problem, though, that um, does exist with um, SEO and content marketing um, is how it plugs in with an ABM strategy. So, um, you know, sales, sales will have like a list of, let's say, 100 target A accounts that they want to close. And um, part of marketing's responsibility is to 
um, drive content consumption and awareness and around the, um, you know, like, like um, in, in each B2B sales transaction, there's going to be seven to eight um, people at the target account that are going to be involved in the transaction. So the, the role of marketing there really becomes is how do we drive message consumption in that buying unit at the target account? And then how do we show our sales team that there are, um, you know, show our sales team indicators um, to let them know that it's time to reach out when um, that buying unit or members of that buying unit are consuming certain pieces of content. Um, and I have not found a good way to do that, to get that from a graphic level data uh, pre-conversion um, from, from site traffic and site visitors. I have been starting to use this tool called Breakfast Leads, which shows me um, uh, accounts that, that are coming to the website, uh, p potential co uh, companies that are coming to the website, where they're coming from and what they're, what they're consuming. Um, and I know Gainsight exists that gives a lot more uh, detailed firmographic information on your site traffic. Um, but what do you use to um, connect your SEO and inbound efforts to um, the ABM strategy? It's a good question. I want to say in the past, I have to talk to uh, Hannah, who runs our, our ABM for directive. I know like in the, we've used, I think we've used Terminus. A couple other people have used Terminus, like clients and stuff. Uh, I got to see uh, Sanger was one of the co-founders at their speak uh, here in Chicago. Uh, I don't, I, I think the biggest play is, you know, the, the, the point that I heard you make is like, how do we show sales and how do we let them know when to get in touch and mm -hmm. like, make sure we're not overlapping and just making sure we're not causing kind of confusion in there. It, I think it comes down to what platform you're using to track things, right? Like, what are you guys using right now? Right. I mean, we're using Pardot. So the way I'm tracking things right now is, um, you know, I convert off of various sources and then everyone goes into various nurtures depending on what they converted on. And um, they, they end up in Pardot. And um, when they cross a certain uh, lead score, they go over to sales. And um, if they're from certain accounts, then they go over to sales, um, you know, just to see if they want to want to take a look at them and, and claim them and put them in their pipeline uh, before they go into nurturing. Yeah, I think the biggest, I mean, I would never credit myself as, as ha being on anywhere near the level of on ABM as I am with SEO. But I think the biggest thing is, are, are we giving people a reason to find us again? Are we giving people a reason to come back? And are we giving people the thing they actually want? I think every industry is different, different people. You know, you talked about the full buying unit, like the needs of those people at different places is different and their, their content needs are different too, right? Like if you're trying to reach somebody who is, um, you know, a, is lower level, uh, newer in their career, they're going to need more like tactical content versus somebody who's at the, the top end of things, maybe a director, VP, uh, or even like CMO or whatever, or, or whoever you're selling to, the C-suite that you're selling to, like they don't need tactical content. They need frameworks, right? And they'll fill in a very like inception kind of way, like they'll fill the dream with their subconscious like they'll fill those frameworks with their own details that a beginner can't because they don't have a big enough picture. Um, and I think it really becomes a mix of like, who's really searching for this content, right? There's some searches where you can tell like 
a CMO is just like, I don't know, I'll throw it into Google real quick. Cause you know, maybe they talked to some friends and they've like gone with trusted advisors. They're like, I don't know, I'll Google it. And if you have that like really stellar content that maybe doesn't have huge volume or whatever else, but you're pretty sure the people searching this because of past customer conversations, whatever else are people at the higher end of that, of like the buying team. I think that's huge. Right. So when a junior person is like, uh, I remember the, I think it was the CMO or VP of marketing or something at Sprout Social was like, I don't ever buy anything that my team hasn't recommended to me. Mm-hmm. But if when the team recommends it to that person, hey, I want to get this software, I want to use this technology. And they're like, oh, yeah, I read that. I'm on their email list. I read this article from them. Like all like that changes the game. And I think it it's about understanding both like multiple Talk audiences. Down. Yeah. Multiple audiences, the same way I have to communicate and sell SEO strategy to the point of contact I'm working with, but it also has to sell all the way up to the CMO. Uh, And the messaging is different depending on who you're trying to get buy-in from. The same is true in this case, uh, where making sure that we're staying discoverable for not just the people that we think are, you know, have the most volume behind their searches, but also, you know, is this kind con- I always think about SEO content is content that has to do more than one thing. It has mm-hmm. to rank, it has to convert. We have to be able to send it out in emails. We have to be able to share it on social and my sales team has to be able to use it. And if it can do those five things, then that's good content. And otherwise we probably shouldn't put it out, right? Like if it's good for SEO, but nobody gives a crap and nobody would ever click on this from Twitter, maybe rethink that. Definitely. Um, I, I also think about SEO content in the exact same way. There's so many different <clears throat> variables that have to go into making a good piece of content. And um, the more I've been thinking about ABM, I've, I've started to add uh, another variable into it. And that is um, what, what persona and what, what person really, and what, and it, is it, is it, is it helping the top down approach or is this helping the bottom up approach? And then um, the other element that, that, that I think is really important to consider for SEO content as well is um, what part of the product am I trying to, um, you know, support the buyer's journey for? Because um, in, in my experience, and you often see this as well, is that um, these B2B SaaS companies, they have their platforms and they, they sell multiple products and there's multiple ways to get into the platform. Yeah, I, yeah. Especially if you have a tool like uh, I'll use a marketing tool. I hate using marketing tools like as examples all the time, but that's okay. Something like an SEM Rush, like that thing does twenty things. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways, and the buyer who buys an SEM Rush over an Ahrefs, like it's a very different person, and it's a very different like experience. So yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I think again, like uh, I'm, I, I like the persona idea. Uh, there's an article by Animals, the content marketing agency that I reference a lot that just talks about non-personas. Uh, and it says like uh, pay scale, not personas, just targeting more of that, which is where I got the idea around like giving them frameworks and letting them fill it in is if we're going to target them, let's target like their pay scale and not just, you know, sometimes when you get into personas where it's like, I'm writing this for this weird fictitious person that doesn't exist. Or maybe if you're, you know, maybe you use a real person that's a customer. So like you actually know, hey, this is, you know, Susan and this is what Susan needs or, you know what I mean? Um, I think 
that can be helpful. But I think like really staying focused on like not just what that CMO or VP needs or whoever it is, but like what is somebody at that level of their career and what are they trying to do in their business? Like what is that? Like thinking more about like the pay scale side of it versus getting locked in. Uh, I think it's a great approach. Um, I just think that if people take it too literally, uh, it can be limiting. Um, absolutely. That's a mistake I've made uh, in the past. Um, and um, I, I, I hadn't thought of this pay scale approach. It's, it's something I've been trying to struggle with because um, the persona itself is, you're right, it's too limiting. Like, for example, if I write an article for a VP of recruiting at a staffing company, it's, it's too limiting because the, all the other VPs that are actually also buyer, uh, you know, in the buying unit that might be running IT or operations or sales are suddenly excluded from the content of the article. And that's, that's no good. Um, so I think that that's definitely an interesting way of, of thinking about it. Um, I think I'm definitely going to use that. Now, the, the next thing I wanted to talk about is um, timelines, right? So, you know, like, how do you, how do you go about setting the goal for the SEO strategy and then, you know, communicating timelines on when, when leadership can expect results like increased traffic, um, increased leads, um, those leads converting into, into opportunities, or at least those, those MQLs converting into SQLs. Yeah, I think, well, yeah, let's talk about like time to like first results of just traffic. The biggest pet peeve I have is SEO takes six to 12 months. Like it, it freaking shouldn't not, I mean, it depends. It depends on like the client, right? Like there's some clients where like SEO doesn't take six to 12 months because it takes two to three years. Mm -hmm. And then there's other clients where like it doesn't take six to 12 months because it takes, you know, six weeks um, because they have a huge authoritative website and, you know, we might see results. You know, you have a, a, enough authority. One of our clients at Directive is Allstate. Like we oh, yeah. worked with them for years and years and they're not in B2B SaaS, but I'm using them as an example of like how much more authoritative of a website can you get? Uh, we can see results from them within a couple days of like whether something's working or not. So in, in, in an extremely competitive space. So I think that if you have a really authoritative website, like you could see results really quickly from things. Um, with that, with that said, in terms of like results of, how quickly things go from MQL to SQL. I mean, that's something we do in our, our kickoffs and our onboardings. Like we want to know all of that up front. Mm -hmm. If they know their customer acquisition costs, they know their lifetime value, we can start modeling things out. Like we do some really next level fun stuff with uh, like acquisition cost to LTV ratio and things like that. But it takes a more mature, um, and this isn't a knock at all, but it just takes a more mature like marketing organization within a company to know those things and have those numbers locked in to the point that like everybody kind of knows that stuff. Um, we can start to have a better idea what the ROI work is of different efforts. And I always think of SEO and campaigns. So like, if we're going to do this campaign or that campaign, what's it going to do? Uh, what are the results we want? And then just modeling it out. Uh, it doesn't take anything more than just some like pretty much napkin math in a Google sheet to figure some of these things out. Um, the, the biggest thing I think around expectations is making sure, you know, we used to operate in, in like, it was wild, like weekly sprints where it's like, here's what we're doing this week. And then we'll test and we'll move. And it was just like, 
that was madness and didn't help anybody. Um, and we're not trying to go all the way to the six to 12 months, but we still do quarterly business reviews of like, here's what, what we're gonna, here's what you've expressed you need. Here's our analysis of either where you're at if you're new or where we've been in the last quarter. And here's our, you know, let's get some buy-in for these. Like we're going to keep doing X, Y, and Z because we know these are things that are working. So we're not going to stop them, but we're also thinking of this. And we're also thinking of this other thing. And when we're, here's our timeline. We break everything out um, on like an ice sheet, uh, impact, confidence, and ease, and then kind of prioritize based on that. Um, and then, yeah, from there, it's really just a, a question of execution. Um, we set our timelines out. We put everything into, you know, like Asana or whatever the client uses. Um, mm -hmm. And then it just becomes a question of execution. And then uh, either, you know, we meet weekly or biweekly or something. Yeah. And how, how long does this like initial planning and consulting, uh, this, this planning and, and uh, buy-in phase happens every quarter, right? So mm -hmm. how long does it take, take to uh, get through this strategy and presenting it, approving it, and then and then starting execution. An hour? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it. Uh, I mean, we just that's, do a call. That's, that's yeah. fast. Yeah. It. I mean, we're not. It, look, there's other pieces that take longer, right? If we're like, hey, you have a giant website with ten thousand pages, and it looks like half of your content isn't indexed. Like we're gonna. Like let's say we're at that point, right? New client. We haven't been working with them we do, uh, we have a 30 day project where we're doing audits around uh, and audits with the goal of doing something, not audits with the sake of, look how impressive our 98 page technical audit is that nobody can decipher or use. Like a lot of agencies love to do that. And it's like, hey, that's cool. Like we feel like we got our money's worth because this is a huge document with 400 Google Sheets linked off from it or Excel files or whatever. But what do we do? Like those are awful. So we come out of that with, so we do like a 30 day project phase uh, with clients. And then in that project, there's content, backlinks, technical, like a bunch of different separate audits that we do. And we come out of that with effectively a, here's the next two months of this quarter, like a quarterly strategy, like we would for all of our other clients, but we only really have two months to execute instead of three. Um, you know, having those custom playbooks, projects for everybody, I think is pretty key. And it usually comes out of those audits. And that's where we'll figure that stuff out. Yeah, I mean, we'll get buy-in in an hour, but it, it, it'll obviously take time to decipher what's going on. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in a lot of cases, you know, you get legacy sites that are Frankenstein together on uh, three CMSs and some custom script that's also the same code base as the tool they sell. So if they mess with the website, they're actually messing with the tool. Um, things like we've seen, like there's all sorts of complicated relationships. It's been really humbling, you know, to really dive in with some pretty amazing companies and see like, hey, like this, everything's, you know, from the, the, the TechCrunch headline, everything seems amazing. But like, there's so much value you can still provide for a lot of people uh, by doing some of this stuff and being that voice in the room of like, hey, I don't have any stake in this, except for I want you all to win. So I know like this is your career and your career and there's all these different things and dynamics internally going on and the, the funding and all of this other stuff. I just want you all to win. So I'm just going to lean into here's the best thing for us right now, you know? 100% man. And, you know, just, just to help you kind of frame where, where uh, this podcast is um, targeted at, uh, a lot of the, 
I think uh, that the community of building here, a lot of us are marketers at early stage B2B SaaS startups. So um, I think when we think about the SEO and the content for these companies, um, they've probably got like their first 20 to 30 customers. Um, they're maybe doing like one to 5 million ARR a year and they've raised uh, a series A or a series B round. And uh, now they're starting to scale out their marketing, not even scale up their marketing team, but just really grow their marketing team beyond their first marketing hire or their second marketing hire to a team of four and like start to implement all of the um, marketing technology like a Pardot and transfer over to WordPress and figure out all the different strategy components. Um, and you know, when I, when I come into these companies, often what I see is um, no one really understands um, content marketing or the idea of a content funnel or a content strategy. And um, there's just a lot of uh, lack of clarity around what to do and very few people that do it. And um, I think, you know, one of the, one of the challenges that, that always exists there is um, in tracking the um, impact of um, SEO and the content marketing efforts on, on lead gen and then attributing it properly because usually there isn't a marketing ops person. And I'm, I'm curious, like what framework do you use to, to track that? Um, do you guys put on a lot of custom links? Do you have all of your blogs um, categorized into one campaign in, uh, in Pardot so you can, you can track all the, uh, all the touches? Um, that they're making on uh, different people that are in the database as they move through the marketing and sales um, sales funnels? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I'm trying to think of like a concrete example. I think like we try to, for the most part, I would say most of the clients we work with aren't at the point where they have, I mean, we definitely have a few that have marketing ops people that are pretty crucial, but like we have a lot of, uh, not a lot of clients. We have some clients that have like really technical uh, co-founders and all of their team is highly technical and things like that. And they're selling a technical product to other technical people. Um, things like that are a little bit different than it's like, all right, we're making, we have B2B SaaS for people who understand how marketing work and our uh, marketing works and our, our buyers know how marketing works. In terms of tracking, a lot of times what it looks like for us from a content standpoint, like it, I don't mean to oversimplify this, but if you're like just at your first marketing hire, like, like just put put the blog in a subfolder that says blog or something or articles, and then all of a sudden, like you have a really easy way to filter, like the where things are coming from. Um, it's not always super helpful because it's very rare anybody's going to convert from just reading a blog. They're going to hop over and learn about your product. They might do a couple other things and that further qualifies them. But I think for a lot of people, I don't know, like if you're at your first marketing hire, I don't think you need any sort of complications like that. And I know that that might be kind of a hot take. I would love your opinion too. Um, but I don't, I don't know. I'm not sold that they really need to overcomplicate things. Like they, if they have 30 customers. You don't need advanced tracking. So kind of like you're, you know, 10,000 people coming to the site. Like they, you need, you need people coming to the site. You don't need fancy tracking. Yeah. Yeah. You need to get to that 30,000, 40,000 a month of people coming to the site and you need to get to that, um, you know, increase in, uh, in lead conversion and, and more leads and bigger pipeline more than you need um, um, tracking to see what content clusters and what blogs are, are contributing 
to um, generating the most leads and opportunities because you don't have enough content clusters, you don't have enough leads coming in and there aren't enough opportunities being created yet. Yeah, I mean, just subfolder, set up a thank you page on all of your conversions, yep. which I still think is just valuable from a human perspective, the thank you page, because it gives you a chance to do partner promotions, upsells, cross sells, like all sorts of different fun things on the thank you page. Uh, but still, um, yeah, I don't, I wouldn't, at that point, I'm trying to think of like a, a, a use case where like you would want, you would want there to be that. But I think the biggest thing is like, hey, we're, we're profitable. Now we should figure out where all of this is coming from because we don't want to lose it. You know, like we're all, if we lost 20% of our customers, we all still have jobs. We're good. We're not hemorrhaging cash. Um, now let's figure out where these are coming from specifically. Maybe we know like channel data, but we really need to know um, what the touch points are because now we have the money and that we can hire to invest in channel specific stuff. If you don't have the money to invest, like I don't even know if you knew what blogs were converting better or you knew different channels were like super effective, if you couldn't double down and invest in it, you're just kind of stuck with the knowledge. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, I, I, I'm also, I'm consulting with a um, really, really early stage startup company right now. Um, they're just two people, co-founders, um, and they are, um, you know, trying to get to about 20 customers and then raise, uh, raise their first round, right? Um, there are four customers so far. I've got them kicked off on a content marketing strategy. They're producing content every week. Um, and um, the thing is that they're, they're very, very, um, you know, they're, they're results oriented, which is great, but um, they want that level of granularity for, about the impact of um, their content and SEO efforts at, at such an early stage. And my whole take on it is that, look, you, you don't need to look, you, you don't need that level of granularity right now. What you need is more content and uh, higher volume, higher production volume and more traffic and, and more leads. And that's the right thing to focus on right now instead of trying to figure out uh, out of the 500 people that are coming to your website, um, you know, which ones, the ones that are signing up for demos, which ones are coming from which blog. Yeah, especially because you're not, I mean, you tracking is a thing that never becomes easy. It's always a problem in one way. The pendulum is one way or the other, right? It's not enough traffic. It's not, a, you know, it's the problems we're talking about or it's, oh my gosh, it's so much traffic. How could we ever possibly decipher this? Everything's so complicated. You know, it's missing all these touch points we know they had, but it's not picking those up. And why isn't it tracking that? And I know they're clicking on our ads as well, but we're not getting those. And none of our email list traffic, like it's not pulling anything when people come back from the email list. Like, you run into all of those things and tracking issues are uh, like, it is the reason there's a marketing ops career. Sure. That thing exists because of that in part. Yeah. Um, it's awesome. Like, that's great. But again, like we're not all, we're not HubSpot, right? Like the company, we don't have that much inbound traffic that it becomes necessary to know what's working and what isn't. So we know how to focus our efforts. You're absolutely right at that point. And I think the the question becomes similarly, let's understand why they want that. Like, why do they want to know that so much? They, do they just want to feel like they have a handle on it? Do they, they want to be able to use that in a pitch deck? 
like to raise money? Like, do they, there's a reason they want to know that because they can't actually do anything with the information right now. It's just knowledge. Yeah. So why do they want that? And then let's address the why, right? That's like how I think about good consulting is like, let's ask why, like without being annoying, there's better ways to frame this, but like ask why three or four times and get deep with them. And then all of a sudden you're like, all right, that's the real motivation, which is valid. Like perception is reality. Um, and then like, let's help them with what they really want. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's awesome, man. Um, so when, when you're thinking, I know we're getting to the last, last few minutes here. Um, and you know, when you're thinking about like, like these, this type of situation with a, maybe like a small marketing team before that's got a marketing agency as well, um, that, that maybe they get like a couple hundred hours a month from of work. Um, and you know, there, there's a blog and uh, the company's website has some traffic, but there's maybe only like 20 articles written there. Um, where are, what are like the first, um, you know, production goals you set for that, um, for, for, for that team? Yeah, uh, good question. I think the first thing is understanding I, I would need to, and this doesn't change my answer, but my steps are first want to like understand the business as best I can and understand how they make money. Uh, I want to understand like what's, what current state is, what they want their future state to be. And then we got to like try to map to that. Right. Um, so the scenario, just so I have a clear understanding, they have like 20 articles, they're getting some traffic, they're getting conversions. They have the ability to execute on things. Right. Mm -hmm. I think, I think the biggest thing is making sure that everything serves a purpose at that point whether it's a content strategy or whatever. And, and also being humble enough to, you know, one of the things that I've been really privileged to learn over time is like, you know, I get to work with companies that literally have technology that changes the world, like some real, not even Silicon Valley stuff, because they're located in like the middle of Ohio and things, or the middle of like nowhere, Texas. But like these companies do this amazing world changing stuff and have never thought like they might not need content. They might not need SEO. They might need, they've never done paid acquisition. It's all been through sales and relationships and like referral marketing or, you know, ABM or something like they've had some other strategy and it's like, I don't know, like, let's, you know, let's really try to love these people. Like, do you need this? Um, I think that's the biggest thing for me is like, do they need it? They've, they've been doing fine with 20 articles. Let's see like what the ROI can be, right? Like, let's see what we can actually get them. I think from there, if, you know, if, if you're asking me like, how do I think about a content strategy for them? It, it really is, or an SEO strategy is like, you know, I use a, a framework for SEO that I kind of made up just to try to like, qual like quantify how I think about it. It's called like the I am framework, the intent, the asset and the medium the medium part of that for what we're talking about, the medium means like the, where it's living uh, is the website. Like is, is the website sound? Can we build on it? They have 20 articles, but like, are those things I'll use the phrase Frankenstein up there again and like hard coded. And I don't know, we got to talk to their CTO every time we want a blog post published. Like, is there a reason that there's only 20 um, things like that come to mind where it's like, I want to make sure I give a full understanding of the landscape as quickly as possible and what the capabilities are and how, you know, if we can move fast and then if we can move fast, which you kind of indicated, it's really a question of like, what do we do next and how fast can we put the pedal down? Cause 
the whole like idea of cadence. Well, let's do four, four articles per week. Why? Let's just do 20 tomorrow. You know, like let, let's do 20 this week and then maybe none for a few weeks. But like people kind of settle into like, we need a rhythm. And it's like, you kind of don't like, let's get it all. Let's get, if we, if we're going to in the next year, write a hundred articles, can we get those done in a month? Like, can we just spend all of that money and get that done now? Cause I'd rather have them start ranking all right now than, you know, 10% of them ranking the last month of the year. You know what I mean? Yeah. I've never thought about it that way, but that that's super smart. And, you know, I think one of the reasons I've never been able to think about it that way is because, um, the resources I've had have always been, uh, you know, very, you know, even my resources wear multiple hats, right? So I, my, my writers will just have like, maybe they can give me like 10 hours um, a month or a week to, to, to spend on articles. And then they have to go and, you know, write other things and other, other campaigns that are working on. But I really like that idea you just shared of batch processing a bunch of content. And just like dedicating, um, you know, an entire block of a month to to creating and executing a specific project, and just getting getting the team ready with ammo to 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 go out and um, and and publish and, and and send out there. So that that was super smart. Um, I know we're at the we're at the top of the hour here, so I wanted to give you quickly the floor, Brendan, to to promote um, your agency or you know any events or anything you have coming up that might be valuable to to the audience. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I lead the SEO team at, at Directive, and if people think that it, anything you heard today sounds smart and you want to have another conversation, uh, I don't do sales for a reason, but I, I'm, I'm happy to chat and see if we can be helpful. Um, the biggest thing for me is if people want to learn more about SEO, uh, putting together more resources. I, 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 like I said, in a former life, I was a teacher, and I can't help but teach this stuff, especially when so many SEO resources out there are horrific and not helpful at all. Uh, and just copycats of whatever blog post was above it. It's very SEO by the nature of what it is, is very hard to learn by Googling. You know what I mean? Um, so I think a big thing that might be most helpful is, yeah, if you want to connect with me, you can Google my name. I'll pretend it's because I'm good at SEO. It's really just because I have a unique name. Uh, Brendan Hufford, spell it however you want, you'll find me in Google. Um, but from there, you can also check out uh, seofortherestofus.org. It's a small little corner of the internet. Uh, it's not really that small anymore, but it's where I teach everything that I know about SEO. Everything that I've shared here, uh, as much as possible, is there. And then there's also an SEO for the rest of us community that I think is really valuable. If you want to level up your SEO for yourself and your whole team, like let's say you do have a small team of three to four people and you're like, I want to learn this, uh, you know, joining the SEO for the rest of us community for as many months as it serves you would probably be a great option. Yeah. I'm actually on, I'm on your website right now on the, um, getting started with SEO page and, uh, yeah. are you a scruffy looking nerf herder? That is from star Wars gangster rap. <laughs> the, uh, yeah, I, I love putting as much, silly stuff like I think I also have on like uh next to my picture I have like Brendan Hufford dad brown coat like just like if I can just throw in like a firefly reference I'll do that wild like, stallion <laughs> yep yep wild stallion from uh Bill and Ted's excellent yeah, <laughs> as much as I can as much as I can I love throwing those easter eggs and like let's just have fun with this it's the internet there's no real rules you can do whatever you want yeah I love that man all right, Brendan. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Let's, let's sign off on this episode here.
Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. It was really a privilege. I hope this was helpful for everybody who listened. Yeah, it, it, I think it definitely will be. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of AD4. Um, I really enjoyed my conversation with Brendan, and I, I hope I'm going to be able to get him back on the podcast again in the future to, to, to talk about some of those frameworks that he was alluding to, because I would love to explore those with you guys. I hope you guys enjoyed this episode and found some value in it. And stay tuned next week. I've got um, six guests lined up. Um, one of them is a public speaking coach. And the reason I'm having him on the show in the future is uh, because he works with a lot of CEOs and, and marketing leaders at startup companies to coach them on how to more effectively communicate using their voice. Um, you know, with and I think it's a really important topic to discuss and, and learn about because, you know, video marketing and podcast marketing is becoming uh, more and more the norm. Uh, perhaps it may even replace uh, articles in, um, in some years as the primary format that people consume information in. So um, I think it'll be a really valuable episode for you to listen to. And I've, I've also, I'm excited about a, uh, a CEO of a, um, demand gen platform um, that I've got coming on as well is just he's got a brilliant marketing mind I spent about an hour talking to him uh, last week so stay tuned for more episodes coming soon and um, thanks for being with me so far in this in this podcast journey I've been on and uh, thanks to all my all my all my regular listeners and I'll see you guys next time